Welcome to the Trinity Ability Co-op podcast. This episode is called Disability and the Violence Against Women. This is part two of a three-part series. This is a content warning as this topic may be difficult to listen to. Listener's discretion is advised. If you are in need of support against violence, we have a list of contacts for further supports. Hi, Leanne. Um, I'd love to thank you for coming uh, to talk to us about um, disability and violence against women. I'd love to hear about a bit about yourself and also the product you're involved with. Okay, thank you, Lorna. Thank you for the invitation. I am honored to be here. Now, before I introduce who I am, um, I am Leanne Quigley. I am part of the Centre for Deaf Studies at TCD, and they have a project called Justice Science 2. And that is in conjunction with Professor Lorraine Leeson. Now, this project is done with TCD, the Harriet Watt University in the UK, the uh, University of Virgo in Spain, and the European Union of the Deaf in Belgium. So looking at that at a European level, because the European Union for the Deaf focuses attention on the European Deaf community. So we here in TCD, so just bear in mind, it's Ireland, England, Spain, and Europe, they're coming together to look at what are the gaps in terms of access, focusing on deaf women, and also it's deaf women here in Ireland, migrants, refugees, asylum seekers. And the reason for that is because take, for example, here in Ireland, the everyday language is English, but those who are migrants and others, they do not have English as their first language. So we look at that from the point of view of access and look at, at the point of view of what are the gaps. Last, last year, we were involved in sending out a survey. One was sent to um, sign language interpreters here in Ireland, they're Irish sign language interpreters, as well as spoken language interpreters to find out their experiences of domestic violence and what does that entail. The other was in relation to service providers such as agencies who are responsible for dealing with domestic violence and what the gaps are for them. And as part of the project, uh, we have been developing resource materials for training for interpreters and service provider. So if it's a case that they meet with a deaf client or a migrant, then that's what the project is involved. It's a three-year project. It began in 2020. And we had the four countries have been meeting online, as well as research, as well as the survey. And here in Ireland, I have been involved in the National Deaf Women of Ireland. And we work in collaboration the project works in collaboration with NDWI. 
Now, I'm going to focus my attention here on Ireland. In Ireland, there is practically nothing. There's practically no awareness about GBV, domestic violence, sexual violence. However, there has been increase in knowledge over the past few years in the general sense, but the deaf community are lagging behind. So Justice Science have been working in collaboration with NDWI and doing a series of workshops that began last year. It's aimed at the deaf community to develop an understanding. For example, before attending a workshop, we look at the words, take for example, gaslighting. We have no awareness, knowledge of that. The second thing is coercive control. But after the workshop, they will have a better understanding of what those two types of terminology mean, as an example. And that's what we've been doing with our workshop. There are more plans. And looking at the Irish Sign Lounge itself, as I mentioned to you, gaslighting, coercive control. It does not have a sign equivalent in ISL. So you're having to spell the words out, but how can you spell a word that doesn't mean anything? And as part of the project, we're looking at creating a vocabulary bank. And this is done through the Center for Deaf Studies, where there is a module program for 2020 to 2021. And that particular training course was aimed at deaf interpreters, of which there were 24, to become qualified interpreters. Uh, that group was given 80 words, such as gaslighting, image-based violence, and a list like that. So given those, those vocabulary to those students, and as part of their course of study, was to create a draft ISL bank of which they're erasing. This has been produced online and it's been given to the deaf community and to ask for their feedback about what signs have been created. There will be another work workshop that will be focusing on those who have got linguistic experience, members of the deaf community, to go through the draft vocabulary. And if it is accepted, then that sign language bank can be sent out and dis disseminated. And it's more about developing awareness within the deaf community and also give them the capacity to have that conversation based on the vocabulary. Especially for those who have gone through the experience will have that opportunity to be able to express themselves in that way. And this is also good for the interpreters as well that have the capacity to understand and know what the word is alongside the ISL. That's it in summary. I've crammed this in as much as I can, but that's what the Justice Science Project is about. Wow, that seems amazing. And it's well needed. Like, I know like, I'm, I'm not uh, deaf myself, but I would have friends who are maybe partially deaf that would I'd know that they would be that would 
benefit from them. Um, I'd love to actually talk to you about fear within uh, uh, women, uh, violence against women and disability. Now here, I have a statement here from a parent of, uh, of a child uh, of a woman with a disability. And it's from their, their eyes of the fear of them growing up. Would you mind if I share with you? Yes, of course. So being from a parent, being a parent of a person with a disability can be very hard. When they are young, you can control most of the situations around them. But when, but when they get up, grow up and you have to learn to leave, to let them live their own lives and make their own mistakes, make their own decisions and mistakes. There are a lot of people who will take advantage. And I always, I always feel I need to be there just in case there is an issue. I would be especially anxious when my daughter would want to come, want to go on a night out, uh, how, so sorry, how will she get home? Who will she be with? What can happen while she is out? Can she make the right decision, right judgments on her first impressions when meeting people? We would offer most, most times to collect her from whatever venue she is at, but are we infringing on, on, her experience, on, on our experiences of growing up? We always want to protect her, but at what cost? And now with the Ashley Murphy case, puts extra anxious anxiety on us as we feel we need to be extra careful now and protect her on all her outings. Now, I was thinking about this here and there's a lot of fear around disability and violence against women because we are um, we are more vulnerable than a non-disabled woman. Um, like I could list off a lot of examples. Few cases where that I was say going to Trinity to study and I walked a little bit faster when I've seen a group of guys pass me. And then back in 2020, when I was meeting a group of friends, I was so close, probably about six times during the day of telling my friend that I'm not going to go, go and meet up with her friends, her and her friends, because I was so anxious of who was around. But I wanted to kind of say, what do you think, even like for the, um, like the fear element of uh, women with disabilities have, like on an average night or day? Thank you for that. 
yes, there is fear with any woman, but particularly women with disabilities. That also applies to deaf women. And there are many cases that can be cited. Now, from the studies that have been undertaken in the States and at an international level, there are similarities that can be made between this country and other. Now, when a woman reports or talks about in relation to access, if there is no interpreter, they will bring in a family member or a partner. That means the woman can't say anything for fear of possibly the family member or the partner. The other thing is, if it's a, a partner that is hearing, they may say a different story in comparison to the woman, what she has had to say. That's one type of fear. The other is in terms of reporting, trust is an issue, not knowing who is the interpreter. And that is hard and that is frustrating. Can I trust the interpreter? And also, um, if it's a case that there are regular meetings, then what happens is that there are different types of interpreters that come in. And that makes it difficult because they're constantly having to be subjected to change. So they're quite limited in what it is that they have to say. So they, there is silence. So trust and fear are issues. In terms of talking about anxiety, now for me, um, is at night time because I don't hear behind me. So I'm very conscious of it. What if, what if, what if, because I won't hear anything. But during the day, it's, it's different. Now, it's very rare that I think about safety during the day, but it's just think about what about something behind me? What about something around, around the corner? So there's that type of anxiety that comes into play. So yes, there is fear in deaf women every day. But when you are feeling more vulnerable, you become somewhat paranoid a little bit more and you become, you, you, your eyes are watching everything. Now, I have to say that that doesn't apply to nighttime. It can happen during the day when it's a very quiet street and you're not familiar with that place. Yeah, like I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying there, Leanne. Like, I find that, um, like, the what if, what if, what if scenario happens constantly, even if it's to the bus stop, because you're thinking, for me, I'm thinking, what if someone comes up behind me and because my balance isn't that great, what happens if, like I get I get attacked or um I can't fight back to what um to what anyone else would be able to do. 
to be able to um, do. Um, like, I think as well, it's gone to a stage even for, for us is the fact that we're a lot more vigilant in how, where we go about, like, say we're, if there's specific routes that we'd go home, we're a bit more, we might be a bit more apprehensive of actually going on those routes or like texting family members to say, I'm on the bus. And it's sometimes it's actually very hard to find, it's, it takes a little bit of the independence away from disabled women. What would you think? Looking at independence, let, let, let me think about this. Of course, every day, everyone is vulnerable. Once I'm outside the home, I'm vulnerable everywhere. There's the likelihood of being attacked. Is it going to be possible? But I'm determined to be independent. It's very rare that there's anxiety. Yes, you do lose independent when you're having to ask someone. Uh, for me, when it's dark and I don't hear behind me. So it's about having some, but to have, it is very, very rare for me to have to ask, but I know with every other deaf woman, they will each have their own experience. Some are okay. Some will have anxiety. Now, on a night out in a group, I always text the others when I get home. We text each other to say we're home. So there's that sense of relief. And once we know that we have texted each other, we all know that we're home, that we're all safe, but actually we're all relieved for each other. And thankfully, we have mobile phones, text messaging. But if you go back decades ago, there was no mobile phones. Those women were even more vulnerable than we are today because you wouldn't even know if people got home okay. So having access to the mobile phone. And also, I remember about 20 years ago, we had the, um, the taxi app. Yeah, the, think about mm. the taxi app. We didn't have that before. Now, I would be anxious way back then. Of course, there are, um, you have to prepare. Like, for example, I'll always have the key in my hand because you just don't know what's going to happen. So I have the key. Uh, having the app is a little bit of a reassurance because this is a professional service. It's not just a fake random taxi driver because way back in the day, they weren't registered, they weren't licensed. So I do have a key in my hand. And also in terms of um, getting the last bus home, I will walk quicker with the key in my hands. And as a deaf woman myself, it is very rare that I use my phone. Now I know that I'm deaf, um, so let's say there was a random person that was calling, I don't know. Um, if there was a feeling of someone in front of me, 
what I will do is keep the phone in my hand to look as though that I was busy. Yeah, and that's actually a really great strategy because at least then if you're not, if you kind of look like you're busy, it kind of distracts away from the idea that you can still hear or you can not hear, but you can, you can try and keep yourself safe in a way. Like we, I think as well, we all learn to we all learn how to develop different strategies as we grow up and like what best what suits um what suits us like as you said like looking at your phone and to pretend that you're busy and it's as well it's a lot more about being self-aware than being like savvy and self-aware of your surroundings um so like would you say that like say growing up you learned a lot more about how to adapt to your surroundings going back to the phone yes now i also use um facetime on the phone so it's a video call mm. and if there was somebody screaming behind me how do I say that I'm deaf like sometimes I can turn around and say that I'm deaf but you want to see how they communicate so I can call a friend and do a very quick video call so if they're looking at me, they will see me using sign language and then they'll cop that I'm deaf. Now, yeah. if I am walking and signing, they look like I'm talking to, I can see that I'm talking to someone. But when I do make a video call, as another example of keeping busy, it's just the way that it looks, do you know what I mean? Yeah, as I don't think as well that it's, something that we don't necessarily look, think about, even beyond violence against women and disability. Um, oh, sorry. Sorry, if I may, if I may. Um, so when you talk about um, being savvy, you talk about in relation to the environment, could you just clarify the last point that you made? Could you just expand on that? So I meant that, like, as, as we grow up, like, to learn how to protect ourselves from any um, anything that could hurt us in any way, um, what, like, what would you say would be the um, things that we've learned how to, the strategy, strategies, say, like, or on the phone, that you've learned how to protect yourself. There are many. As, I, as you know, I don't hear my surroundings, so I have to be a lot more vigilant with my eyes. It's not enough to say that you know your locality, 
I still have to be vigilant. I still have to be alert. I still have to watch everything around me. Occasionally, I look behind me. Now, when it's dark, near home, you know, if it's a night out or whatever, like take, for example, getting the last bus home at night, I have to look behind me constantly. Like it's just a few seconds just to be assured that there's nobody behind me. If there is somebody behind me, then I will have to decide, do I need to walk faster? Do you know what I mean? And I'm really keeping, you know, an eye out. And that was a big learning growing up. That was definitely one thing growing up. And as I mentioned earlier, me using my phone, signing into the phone, and of course, walking faster. Then sometimes when we're with a group of friends or a group of people, then if we're going home in the same direction, it is great. Now, when there's another one that lives near me, we'll get a taxi home together. Yeah. Mm. Now, I remember one time when uh, we were at the deaf club and there was a party. And one deaf woman said um, she knew where I lived. We knew of each other, but we didn't know each other. But she had approached me and said, can I go home with you? For me, of course, yes. So that's an example of how the deaf community will know where to go, what to do. So being more vigilant, being more alert, and also texting um, family members, friends, and texting them things like, just to let you know I'm on the way, just to let you know I've got home. Hmm. Um, and then lastly, then I'd love to ask you, what would be like your message in like, as a whole of what, what would you want Warrior Society to know about, um, deaf women and violence against women or even disability in general and violence against women? So the message in terms of safety or... Yeah, well, it can be, yeah, it can be about safety. So it's message from a deaf woman perspective or, in general. Yeah, like can be a bit. Um, sorry, uh, so sorry about this, Leanne. Um, no, 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 you're okay. <laughs> you're okay. Yeah. So, what will be your message as, um, like, for you, as a woman, as yourself? What will be your message to? Um, what are society or even anybody around doesn't have um, that's about violence against women okay lovely thank you thank you thank you okay so the message for everyone what is important is that service providers anyone who is involved in violence against women, consider deaf women 
children and men. And it's all about access, access. That is critical for the deaf community because we get very little access to information, services in relation to domestic violence. Take, for example, this podcast. We don't have this conversation in the deaf community. As an example, this is something that can increase awareness in the deaf community. So engage with the deaf community, provide access to the deaf community. The fact that we use Irish Sign Language and that Irish Sign Language be on service provider websites, that um, contact details would also be inclusive of a text number, email address, provide ISL interpreters, and not many service providers do that. A few do, and they are to be commended for that. Now, there are some agencies restricted on budget, also dependent on the locality around Ireland, but it's about having open access. We're often told, no, we can't. No, no, no. And like I said, the deaf community are unaware and do not know about violence against women. And they need to know that. They deserve to know that. It's important to have a dialogue. It is important to share concerns. Now, look at the two of us today talking about anxiety and how do we walk. Now, because of the questions that you've asked me, thinking about me going out walking, that's something that I need to share with the deaf community. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Now, as a deaf woman, it is important to engage with deaf people. Do not assume we that other people know what's best for us. Ask deaf women about their experience. Ask them. And then create safety tips. Take, for example, I've given you safety tips from me. There could be other women who are deaf that may have different tips. An elderly deaf woman could be different from me again. So looking at it from all of those perspectives. Well, thank you so much for talking to me um, today. I really, really appreciate it. And this is gonna be a valuable, valuable, conversation to be had and it will probably stand um for a long time thank you for inviting me now some of the questions you have asked you have caused me to think along more and I've not had this kind of conversation mm -hmm. so you've actually made me realize that I need to explore the issue of safety a lot more with other deaf women it is very rarely that we've actually talked about that and this is important this is why it's important to have open dialogue we need to show society about the issue of women with disabilities the fear the vulnerability we can't assume that they know. We have to know for sure that there is anxiety, that there is fear. And you're right, we are more anxious 
in comparison to our non-disabled counterparts, yes. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Ability Co-op podcast. We will be back soon with episode three of the three-part series. Thank you.